Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Talking podcast. I'm Dave Campbell, your host, and I'm joined by Mr. Terry Pluto. Terry, we got a lot to get to today. <laughs> yes. So, how you doing? Good. I am well. I am all set. All you're, right. <laughs> you're calling the plays. I will but, uh, line them up you, and you knock them down. But are you Ken Dorsey or are you Kevin Stefanski? I don't know. I heard them talking about Ken Dorsey today at Andrew Barry's press conference, and apparently Andrew Barry said he is just a killer on the basketball court during pickup and will not stand losing. So I thought that was interesting. So I don't think that's me. Maybe I'm kind of like the point guard here. I don't, yes. Why don't we try that? Okay. Um, so, Terry, I did want to mention uh, – we, we have a lot to get into. I wanted to mention our survey that we did a few weeks ago. We got a lot to get into with the Cavs. Um, we had a great package the last few days where we had some of our uh, columnists, you, Jimmy Watkins, Chris Fuhr, weighing, weighing in on is Kyrie Irving the best, second best Cavalier of all time. I thought you had a really eloquent uh, way you got into that. Uh, there's some Brown stuff from the Combine. We want to talk about the Guardians who are plugging away at spring training. But real quick, you do have an appearance coming up, coming up at Walls of Books in the shops at Parma, and that's next Wednesday, not this Wednesday, March 6th. Do you want to talk about that real quick? Yeah, March 6th, 6 p.m. It's a bookstore in Parmatown, and I did one there a few years ago, and they pretty much packed it out, And which was cool because I grew up, you could walk from Parmatown to where I grew up on Westminster Avenue. So um, it was fun to, I was there till like the uh, seventh grade. And so it was it was fun to go back to the old neighborhood and, and meet with people. And um, you bring books and I'll sign them. If you, I'm sure they'd love to sell you some. I'll sign those too. And it costs you nothing. So that means there's a double money back guarantee if you don't like it. <laughs> and it, I know you always sign books and, and talk about your books. Anybody who wants to check out a book, maybe buy one and bring it and get it signed, you can go to uh, terrypluto.com and everything that Terry does right. is right there. So, all right. Yeah, I'm sure they'll have them there. And the cool thing about it, they have both uh, new and used books. And right now, David, it's so hard for book dealers to stay in business. So the other thing is like there or like the Warren and Owl in, uh, in Hudson are uh, independents that I like to support. Yeah, well, even better, go to terrypluto.com, pick out a book you want to buy, and then go buy it at the bookstore when you're there. That's probably the best way to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. So, all right, so anyway, that's coming up a week from Wednesday from 6 to 7. All right, Terry, real quick, we, we had this survey that we asked people to do over the last couple of months about the podcast. We, we got such remarkable response. Um, one of my – two of my favorite responses, Sammy K wrote in. He said, best podcast ever. That was his comment. So thanks for that, Sammy. And then this one was from Adam Farrell, and he says, please don't change anything about the show. It's quite enjoyable the way it is. Don't screw it up. <laughs> well, so, that's what I try to do every week is not screw it up. There is always a temptation to do that, especially, I think, in the NFL. You know, because <laughs> you never have everything right and all that. So even though you won 30 to 7, let's make sure we tweak a little more of this or that because otherwise – we're not doing our job, and uh, that sometimes could complicate matters. Uh, there's an old, real old baseball saying now. It has to do with baseball, but a, a full head equals an empty bat, and that has to do with a guy going up and thinking about where should I put my back foot, where's my elbow, all those things. 
And I can relate to that because I spent whatever my uh, mediocre baseball career was, is probably, uh, I probably knocked another 30 points off a bad batting average to begin with by overthinking how I couldn't hit, what I should do to try to hit. A heavier bat, a lighter bat, a shorter bat, a longer bat, uh, close stance, open stance, no stance, stand on your head. I mean, you could just get that way. So it's always good to know that the podcast is perfect until it's not. <laughs> well, we are we are making a few changes here. We have added a transcript that we had a really good suggestion on oh, that. That's good. There was a gentleman who said that um, he's hearing impaired and the transcript really would help him out. So we have added that. It is like computer generated, so there are going to be mistakes in it. Uh, aside from the ones that I normally make during the show. So so there's that, and we have show notes now. But we did get a couple of um, requests. One was from Chris Walters, and we tried to bring this back last week, and we'll do it today. He says, please bring back the regular book reviews. I like to hear about what you're reading, and sometimes I discover something new to read. And then this one was from someone who didn't sign their name, but they said, Terry doesn't discuss his faith column on the podcast as much anymore. That was one of my favorite parts. Please bring that back. So, uh, Terry, real quick, some weeks – you know, you're you're a, you're like the the Stephen King of sports writers. You're so productive and prolific. And like sometimes you have your faith column figured out on a Tuesday, and sometimes you don't have it figured out until a Wednesday. But we'll try and roll it in as often as we can, right? I think we agree we want to try and do that. Right. Or or we could talk about one from the past that um, maybe we got some emails on or that kind of thing. So yeah. So we'll try I mean, and do one, that today. I'll tell you, one of the ones that was pretty powerful uh, had to do with anger. Um, it wasn't read as much as I'd hoped. I found like I've written like there's two important topics every year I write a column on. One is death by suicide, and the other is um, anger. And online, at least, they don't seem to do that well, I think, because people just don't want to think about those things. But the anger column, the guy wrote in and said he had never thought about the fact until he read the column how when he was angry, the impact it had on others, maybe not necessarily the person he was angry at, but just the people around him. You know, what you start slamming doors, the voice goes up, especially if you're a father, the kids run and hide, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And so that made me feel just good right there that that was something that uh, he hadn't really thought about. And he said it you're more likely to kind of change behavior when you see it's hurting people you love. Not always. Some people can't just, they don't care. But if you have kind of a good heart and you didn't realize how many of us have said things to people and you didn't realize maybe until two days later, they're, they're still mad about it or something. And then it's like, okay, I really have to watch that tone of voice or whatever. But so that, that was in a, a recent faith column. And I thought it was an important point. And as for suicide, um, death by suicide i know so many people and i bet you do too who have lost people that way and the guilt of those around them that they carry is really something that they should just take to the lord because that person probably has some major emotional problems and no matter what you did or didn't say did or didn't do was probably not going to change the outcome It, it just is yeah We've so there's so many stories out of the news now, Terry, about young people, especially wrestling yeah. with this, and it's like the the worst thing you can do is not talk about it. So exactly, um, yeah. But so I'll we'll, tell you, they do not want to deal. With, that's one of the things there that um, people do not, you know, whether it's emails or internet things. But once in a while, they'll come up, and when people do talk about it, boy, it is like somebody opened the faucet, and it'll be a long email or it'll be just somebody I run into, and I'm like, oh good i'm glad i wrote it because it seemed like it it was kind of throwing a paper airplane in the wind it just sort of blew away and that was the end of it so well a lot of times that paper airplane becomes a platform that yeah. people can you know share ideas on and share thoughts and feelings so so we will mm -hmm. try to be better about rolling that into the show terry and i'll see if um i can keep keep us on track with that so let's uh let's let's get into sports terry let's start with the cavaliers today <clears throat> we're taping this late tuesday afternoon 37 and 19. They're still second in the East. They're seven and a half games behind Boston and one game ahead of Milwaukee. And I, I mentioned the Kyrie Irving, Donovan Mitchell debate, and you weighed in on that. Uh, also, the last couple of days, actually with a couple of columns, you had one over the weekend about Kyrie Irving, but I thought you had a really interesting kind of thought experiment where you, you kind of leaned on a, an important person 
in Cavs history, and you kind of had a little discussion in your mind with this person. Why don't you talk about that? I thought it was yeah, really well done. I mean, as I, as I was writing this, I, I wished um, Joe Tate were still alive because he and I are very close. And um, to to run these with past him, with him. I mean, LeBron is the guy, so there, there's really no debate on that. Um, but, you know, Joe, well, I have seen all the guys who played for the Cavs. I was uh, 15 when the franchise was born. So, um, but Joe would really watch them all up close. And, you know, I Irving was a great talent. And he is an all-star. I'm not sure how much of a winning player he is because, as I outlined in my column, in three years with LeBron, he went to 55 playoff games, three finals. Uh, and then I believe the six year, I think it's six years since then, uh, he's played in a grand total of 22 playoff games, made the second round a couple times, um, and just could not seem to really get his carry his teams anywhere. Um, the the one stat about Irving's last year in Cleveland that really people miss is Kyrie Irving averaged more shots per game his final year with the Cavs than LeBron James did. And when Kyrie, after that year, this is 2017, so it's a year after the title, where he decided he wanted to be, quote-unquote, the focal point of the franchise, he had the meeting with Dan Gilbert, the Cavs owner, and he mentioned that exact phrase three times, Gilbert told me. And then he even threatened to have knee surgery because he has kind of a knee problem if he were not traded. And I think at that point, Gilbert just decided I've had enough. And they dealt him and, you know, he went to went to Boston, a real sports town. Remember that one, he said. Uh, and then things didn't go so well. In fact, Boston went farther in the playoffs without Kyrie than they did with Kyrie. And after, the funny thing to me was after a couple of years in Boston, David, so he becomes a free agent. And what does he do? You know, the guy when the focal point of the franchise, he goes out and recruits Kevin Durant to go with him to Brooklyn. Well, you had your Durant. You had LeBron. You could at least have him for one more year. Uh, I remember one executive told me, uh, well, you know, the greatest thing LeBron did in his career, and I said, well, winning the title in Cleveland. He goes, yes, okay. This is number two. <laughs> he said, I said, what's that? He goes, he kept Kyrie focused and in line for three years and got the best out of him. And you could see what happened after that. And, you know, the Durant thing didn't work. It's just, he's he's kind of a, like, I've, I've known some people in my life. They're talented. They achieve to an extent, but they're not sure what they want. And even when they get it, they're not sure they want it. And then they wish they had what they had before. And it's really a difficult way to go through life, and I think that's part of the reason he kind of seems unhappy and, and goes on these really strange tangents. Yeah, it's it's an interesting debate. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, you said that you thought Joe Tate would like Mitchell as the number two all-time also, which I thought was an interesting point. You said that, that Mitchell's kind of Joe Tate's style of player. But it's you can get into all kinds of stats, and, and Jimmy Watkins went into all kinds of analytics, but I, – I, the the time spent here is an important part of it, and you're basically trying to measure a guy who's been here a year and a half. Yes, <laughs> you know, a season and a half with Kyrie Irving, which complicates the discussion, which makes it yes. interesting to me. So I thought it was an inter- a really interesting exercise that you went through, and I, I just think by the end of the season, I think he, you're probably get, you're right. You're going to see Donovan Mitchell. I think he probably will deserve number two at the end of the season. Uh, you know, the playoff debacle of last year is hanging over this team and if he can erase that narrative i think he'll he'll get a leg up in that discussion but it's a I mean, mitchell, it's a good, the other, good debate mitchell, mitchell, mitchell's 27 lebron and michael never won their first titles till they were 27 mitchell just made his fifth all-star team five uh i mean that is a lot for a guy who was playing out in utah was unheralded when he was drafted remember Kyrie being number one the draft the duke profile uh Every, great things were expected. He was rookie of the year. You know, Mitchell's career is the one that's been on the ascension uh, uh, going along. So, good point. I love I love Mitchell's game because when they put the ball in his hands, he did exactly what I hoped he would do. He leads the team. You know, he's up there in stuff like steals and deflections, and you could see what he means to them. Uh, and then I thought it was very very appropriate how he defended Garland the other day. See, that's the kind of thing I don't think Kyrie would have done. 
you know, because he, he, he wouldn't have even seen it or thought of it. Uh, yeah. But Mitchell right away knows I'm going to need Garland. And Garland's been struggling and he's starting to come around. And I mean, he wanted Garland to know, I got your back. Even though right now, frankly, I've kind of taken part of your job. I have the ball more. So I thought that would see, that's the stuff that I look at. Yeah, the leadership. And that 27 years old thing, Terry, is such an interesting stat. And you had it in your yeah. column the other day, too. But everybody looks at the last dance and now oh, Jordan with all the championships. And like you forget. They beat their heads against the Detroit Pistons for years mm-hmm. and could not beat them until they finally got over the hump. And, like, if you put that in Cavs' perspective, like, what is that New York loss going to do to this franchise over the next two to, to – from this year and in the next five years in terms of helping this – talk about ascension. Like, is that going to be a pivotal learning moment where they finally understood what it's going to take to win in the playoffs? Uh, but it, it, it maybe that was their Detroit Pistons moment back last year i don't know but i thought that number that 27 years old was a really interesting point you made you know how many times michael jordan knocked the Cavs out of the playoffs four five five okay because once with fratello four times with lenny as the coach and uh it's just it's just incredible to what happened there with him in the same way the toronto raptors had a really good team several years ago and lebron and the Cavs kept knocking them out you know they they've got over the hump when uh, uh for one year when they but overall it's it's very frustrating when you wayne Embry used to say when you run into true greatness you go, how do you beat them in a series? See, it isn't like the NCAA tournament. You only got to beat them once. You got to beat them best of seven. You know, so what helped Toronto that one year is basically they, they rented Kawhi Leonard. And um, and he had a big playoff for them. And they, they also get very lucky on this big shot that banged all over the rim and went in. I forgot what game it was uh, deep in the playoffs. So the you go for to those things. And, uh, I mean, Mark Price was a great player. He made four all-star teams. Price's problem, he started to get beat up physically. Uh, I thought had Price stayed healthy, he would have been very close to a Hall of Fame caliber player. And then really lost in Cavs history is Brad Doherty playing eight years with five all-star teams, averaging nearly 20 points and nine and a half rebounds and three and a half assists. Of course, now they want Brad to shoot three-pointers, you know, so they wouldn't yeah, want a little post guy. Different era. There's no hand-checking yeah. and all that stuff has gone. Like, yeah. The clotheslining right. coming down the lane. But, but I mean, also, what, what they'd want, though, is, you know, they want everybody to shoot threes. And Brad and Mark Price, well, that was a textbook pick-and-roll that they would run. It wasn't like just pick-and-dunk, all kinds of stuff. So there were a lot of fun guys to look at and names there. Um Joe Tate and I were always on the campaign to have World B. Freeze, number 21, retired for the four years he was here, averaged 23 and a half points. And, I mean, it was so dismal. He took the Cavs in 85. This was the starting lineup and got him to the playoffs with, it was Roy Hinson, Mel Turpin, John Bagley, and Phil Hubbard playing on one knee. That was the four starters. But they came off with Lonnie Shelton, who was about 40 pounds overweight. And uh, there's a bunch of other guys. Edgar Jones. I mean, this is awful. Sounds like an expansion team. And and he carried them. And he saved uh, George Carl's job that year. They started 2-19 and and then got hot. And in the beginning, George was trying to have, like, world be free from, like, a Bobby Knight motion offense, you know. And it's like, no. You know, we'll be free, be perfect in this thing. You know, kind of get out of my way <laughs> and shoot a lot of threes and, and that kind of stuff. And then he just sort of let world run it, like I mentioned there. And, and they started to win quite a few games. So I'm not saying freeze a number two guy, but he's. it was fun to look at some of the guys who were lost in NBA or Cavs history. But Doherty was really good. See, Doherty was looked at as soft because he had trouble with the Pistons. But everybody had trouble with the Pistons back then. Better believe then, it. Then he ran into Jordan and the Bulls, and everybody had trouble with them. It just was the the time. You know, a lot of it is, you know, it's kind of like a, a restaurant. You know, where your restaurant opens and what are the other restaurants around you. Yeah, so getting back to this year's Cavs team, Terry, like – I want to throw a couple of stats out here. You don't see like greatness like that in the Eastern Conference. I think that mm-hmm. 
I think that things are favorable for the Cavs to make an impact this year. And just looking at some numbers here, uh, going into tonight's game against the Mavericks at home, their offensive rating, their 15th in offensive rating at 115.9. Their second in defensive rating, which I know is something you've been talking about for, for weeks here now, 110.4. Their pace, I thought was interesting, is 22nd at 98.5. But this is the stat I wanted to ask you about, Terry, and whether you're concerned at all. The Cavs have a 7-12 and record against the other seven Eastern Conference teams that have winning records. Seven and yeah. twelve. The Knicks are seven and thirteen, and the Sixers are six and eleven. They're, they're worse. But uh, does that seven and twelve record against winning Eastern Conference teams concern you? To an extent, but the fact that I was going to say you did the homework already. All right, and what about the other teams, uh, the other big teams? And you go, their records are the same too. Um, just to an extent. I mean, I remember the one year and uh, the year of the shot. When uh, eighty nine, when Jordan knocked out the the Cavs in Game Five, to specify back then, I believe the Cavs were six and zero against Chicago in the regular season. So um, it's either yep. six and zero or five and one. So it, it, there's always the asterisk stuff. Uh, but I like a team playing well in the regular season. I know last year Miami what, came all the way through the play in and that, but that's just a hard way to go. Um, I'm not going to dwell on it. I just want to see how they're playing towards the end. And I really believe if they stick, get the style, and they've had a few clunkers lately, of Mitchell running the show, you know, some of the three-pointer guys flaring out, they'll be much more effective against the Knicks than they were in the past. And because you can't just say, well, they're just going to let O'Coral shoot threes, and this is why they're losing because O'Coral can't make a three, and they got to have a guy make a three from the corner. They got to have some movement. You got to have a lot of stuff going on besides the fact that O'Coral was struggling. You know, now of course this year he's making his shots, but come playoff time, they're going to make sure that he can still make them. Yeah, and I guess to be fair, Terry, two of those losses did come with Mitchell out of the lineup last week, yep. coming out of the All Star break, and I, I didn't like the way Mo Wagner <laughs> kind of was bullying guys yeah. the other night. I. I thought it, they let him get away with a little much, and I, I expected to see a more of an answer from the Cavs in that game. That has me a little more concerned. Not Mo Wagner specifically, but just yeah. uh, Nick's, Nick's type basketball and seeing mm-hmm. a response from the Cavs. I would have liked them to see him push back on him a little bit more, but that has me more concerned than this 7-12 and record. Yeah, because so. it seems like all the teams really tend to struggle uh, with those with each other when they're there. And then you turn around and they beat up on the teams that are poor. And yeah. All right. So looking ahead for the Cavs tonight, Terry is the, the, the game at home against the Mavericks. And uh, yeah, Donovan Mitchell actually today said he would like to see Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving's number retired, his Jersey hanging down at the field house sometime, which I thought was interesting. But anyway, that game is tonight, Wednesday, they're at Chicago. That'll end February and then Detroit on Friday. And then we got a couple of interesting games. We'll, we'll find out more about that seven and 12 record. That'll be changing because they'll have the Knicks and Boston, the Knicks on Sunday at home and Boston next Tuesday at home. So some interesting matchups coming up both at the bottom and the top of the Eastern conference standings with Detroit and Boston. So uh, guardians time. What do you think, Terry? Let's get into the Guardians here. Oh, that's what, okay. Yeah. Yes. What do you want to talk about from spring training? The Guardians have been hitting the ball a little bit around here, and I also want to ask you about the shortstop situation. What do you want to get into first? General impressions? Well, I got or? It when they lost four to nothing the opening day, opening game down there, and I think they had seven singles. Um, a guy emails his regular email. He emails me. He goes, "Can you please talk me off the cliff? No runs, <laughs> seven singles." I just feel like I'm going to just go jump. And I said, well, if you're at that point on February, whatever it was, 23rd or something, I suggest you go through life wearing a parachute because you're going to want to have to go off a cliff a lot if you're worried about a spring, the first spring training game. Yeah. Of course, after that, they hit some home runs and things. Uh, the guy that I'm really anxious to see and watch is De Los Santos, who they drafted from Arizona. And uh, I finally got dug some more into why did they take this guy he had only 250 with 20 homers in the texas league in amarillo and that's kind of that's a hitter's league so i thought well I, you know yeah he's young and 20 homers and he's big but i then found and i don't have the exact numbers in front of me but he started very poorly for like the first eight weeks he was hitting around 200 
and not much power. And he had some shown a lot of promise in eight ball before that. What they did, and I thought this was interesting, they pulled him out of Amarillo. They sent him back to their complex in Arizona and worked on fundamentally changing some of his stuff with his swing. He comes back in the last two months of the season. It's well over 300. I think it's like 13 homers in 60 games, something like that. And so that's what they're looking at, saying maybe, you know, this guy found something. Uh, and so that's a key part because if you're the Guardians and you took him in the Rule 5 draft and you don't keep him and he goes back to Arizona, because I'm sure they'll take him back, and he hits, then you go, what did we do? But you have to make sure he could play a little bit because you just don't want he's a 21-year-old sitting on the bench, you know, not playing at all. Um, I know they've looked a little bit with him in the outfield. That would be nice if he could maybe play some out there. Um, so I'm intrigued by that because the not only the power potential with him, but just the, the storyline. Well, speaking of the outfield, Terry, I wanted to ask you about Miles Straw because I see they've been putting him in the two-hole a little bit here lately. Do you think that is a good move, to, trying something different, get him a little bit sort of top of the order, get him some protection, maybe seeing some better pitches? Good idea. I think, they want to, I think they want to get him more at bats. That's all. Hmm. See, and see what he can do. They do that yeah. in spring training. Yeah, they're probably working on something with the swing, and so they want to get him more at bats. And actually, the higher in the order, not only more at bats you get, but you'll probably remember the only pitching these guys are only pitching a couple innings, so you'll you'll probably face the better pitchers a little more often than if you're buried deep in the lineup. I don't think there's anything more than that because. Now, analytics loves Jose Ramirez batting second. And if you remember last year, when they traded Rosario, that's where they put Jose. And so I believe that that's where Jose is going to be. So then you're going to go You're going to go to Quan. You're going to go to Jose. Then you're going to go to uh, – now it gets interesting. You know, Naylor, who else do you bat third? You bat fourth. So they got to find some guys. All right. Well, that brings me to Josh Naylor, Terry, speaking of cleanup hitters. <laughs> I, yes. I, I say this because I wanted to get your thoughts on it. MLB.com put Naylor on their all underrated team going into the season. And this was Anthony Castrovin, who I, I know you know from being mm-hmm. in the, the games and stuff. But it was an interesting story because Anthony was writing, here's how he put together his all underrated team. You have to have no all-star appearances ever okay. in the player's career. No BBWA awards like MVP, Cy Young, stuff like that. No silver slugger or gold glove. No all MLB team honors ever. No inclusion, No nine-figure contracts and at least two years of service time. Okay. So, yeah, so he had Josh Naylor as his first baseman on the most MLB all underrated team. And that got me thinking, Terry. So last year, Josh Naylor, 17 homers, 97 ribbies, 308 average. Would you be happy if he had another season like that, or do you need to see more out of Josh Naylor based on what you saw last year when he was in the MVP discussion? I'd probably take it, and here's why. Um, unfortunately, Naylor gets hurt. You know, that is last year he had the, the dreaded oblique, and that's usually four to six weeks. It would help if Naylor got in a better shape. You know, because remember, he's got all this, he's got like an erector set in that one, one leg that he, when he had that accident in the outfield. So uh, I'd like, to, if he played more, he'd probably hit more. I mean, he just, he would produce more, but I, I do believe that there's going to, there's always kind of injury, injury concerns with him. Um, but underrated, yeah, I don't think hardly anybody knows he's any good. Yeah, there, there was some good stats that, that Anthony had in the story had, about, uh, you know, <laughs> So over the past two seasons, he's got 37 homers, 59 doubles. The only first baseman with at least 500 plate appearances during that span who had higher OPS plus than Josh Naylor's 127 were Freddie Freeman, Yandy Diaz, Paul Goldschmidt, Matt Olson, and Pete Alonso. That's some pretty good company right yeah. there. It's probably, it's probably a reason he hasn't made the all-star team because some of those guys are pretty darn good. Uh, but that's some pretty elite company. I think you're right, Terry. I think people don't really know how good he is. Um, and also because he doesn't hit like 35 homers. 
you know, he's a doubles guy, but he, you know, he's been very good in the uh, clutch. And what I really appreciate from him is when he was a younger player here, he was almost helpless against left-handed pitching. And that's improved because I was watching him thinking, oh, is this guy just going to be a platoon guy? Um, because you remember, he would be bailing out. They'd just throw those sliders outside, and he's swinging at a pitch that's bouncing in the middle of the up, um, the right-handed batter's box. Uh, and just seemed to have uh, – it was strange. It was like he was two guys. Against a right-hander, he had these smart approaches at the plate and good eye. And against lefties, it's like he was just, just guessing or something. I don't know what. And then he figured that out. Started to take that more that pitch more to the opposite field. Uh Better eye wasn't trying play. to hit a home run every time against no, lefties. No. Yeah, you got to approach it different. And, and he also, you know, he's very awkward at first, but he's not bad. I'm not saying he's good, but he's not bad. You know, you see this this, this heavy set guy kind of rolling around out there. Uh, he's almost like a, a secret service guy sometimes on ground balls. He wrestles them to the ground and then runs to the bag. But uh, <laughs> it's just so. But I. Yeah, you know, he, he has so much enthusiasm in that. Um, but I'm going to make a prediction now. His brother's going to end up being a better player. Really? Why do you say I that? Think so. One, being a catcher gives him an advantage. You know, it's a, and I think he'll get his major league defense up to average. Number two, he's more athletic. Um, a couple of years in the minors, he was a catcher with 20 homers and stole 20 bases. Yeah, he can he can run. He has some doubles, and I think he's still just growing into what he can become as a hitter. So, um, I'm so very let me ask you something, Terry. Him. So yeah. Paul Hoynes is out in spring training and was writing, I think, yesterday that uh, Stephen Vogt is telling David Fry, like, you're a catcher, like we're not going to be, we're not going to have you moving around. Do you think part of the reason for that is so that Bo Naylor doesn't have to catch as much and can DH more, and maybe. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's so much easier to play baseball when you don't have to crouch down and for nine innings in 94 degree heat. If you can just DH a few times a week, that extends your knees, your career. Do you think that's kind of related at all? Yeah, I do. And hmm. also, I think, well, Fry is not a natural catcher. So that's where he needs the most work. Uh, he can stand in the outfield or stand at first base and, and be okay. And And I just... You know, votes a catcher. He's got a bunch of catchers on his staff, and so they value that position. Of course, that's why they also brought in Hedges. By the way, we hit a home run, so there you go. <laughs> All but right, this, so the Guardians. You know, <laughs> I, I love this line about uh, – I applied to Hedges, but it, it, it was said before Hedges. Uh, the late Mike Hegan, remember, he used to do the games with Tom Hamilton way back when. And I forgot what player it was. And it was sort of a guy like Hedges, you know, hits a home run once in a while, bats 180, strikes out all the time. And he said, you know, there are certain guys just now and then, maybe every two weeks, they're, they're always swinging hard in the same spot, but they run into a fastball. <laughs> it's just like, you know, you're swinging like this spot, this spot. All of a sudden, somebody just threw a fastball right there. And it goes like 400 feet like a rocket. Yeah, he ran into that one. Ran There's into no a fastball. About that, yeah, so. <laughs> almost like right. it was not intentional, but there you go. Yeah. All right, so let's take a break, Terry. Uh, the Guardians are going to be plugging away at spring training. The opener is coming up pretty quickly. They're going to be on the road in Oakland, as everybody knows, on March 28th to start the season. Let's take a break, Terry. Uh, when we come back, Andrew Berry spoke today at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. I want to know what you think about some of the things he said. We'll get into that and more when we come back on Terry's Talking. We're back on Terry's talking. Uh, hey, Terry, before we get into the Browns, I do want to mention and give a quick plug to our new food and drink podcast. It's called Dine Drink CLE. And we've got some great experts in our newsroom, Josh Duke and Alex Darris. They kind of drive the thing and they get all kinds of experts on Mark Bona, Paris Wolf, Peach Carrion, And they talk about food, chains, local, new places to eat. And, oh, man, I just saw one of our favorite places to get sandwiches, Melt over in Independence. We used to get the peanut butter and banana there all the time. It's closing. I just found it yesterday. So I'm sure they'll be getting into that this week. Check it out anywhere you listen to podcasts or download them. Again, it's Dine, Drink, CLE, and they'll tell you everything you want to know about the local food scene. Check it out. So, all right, Terry, the NFL Combine is underway in Indianapolis this week, and Andrew Barry spoke today to the media up at the podium, and then he did like a scrum session off to the side with reporters. And Kevin Stefanski will be speaking tomorrow. 
Uh, I, I'm trying to think of some of the takeaways. Uh, Mary Kay Cabot, our colleague, reported recently that uh, Deshaun Watson is going to start throwing next month, and Andrew Berry confirmed that. Uh, he talked about how continuity can still mean change. That's something you've written about lately, about how you can have a con- continuity as an organization but still change pieces, offensive coordinators, and the other hires they've made. Uh, what else did you take from what Andrew Berry said today? Anything you want to get into here? It was a bore. It was pretty boring. We do have the. We could talk about the book he mentioned, but uh, <laughs> uh, but other than that, um, but they're going to Greenbrier, I guess. They are. They're going to be back at Greenbrier, I think, for the same oh, amount yeah. of time as last year. And joint practices with the Vikings was something we learned today. Yeah. So that you have that um, in Berea. And they, I'm glad about that. That's fun to watch. I, I find those. I remember two years ago when they had the joint practices with Philadelphia in Cleveland, not this past year, but in 22, uh, two things jumped out. Number one was that was when people didn't realize how good maybe Jalen Hurts was in, in, in Philadelphia. And I'm like going, wow. And secondly, uh, that's when the Browns defense to me looks slow. And Lance Reisland, our, our uh, former Garfield coach and does all the film breakdown. I sat with him and I think that's also where, which uh, something he noticed just in the practices, but really was underlying was how uh, thin they were with those defensive tackles up the middle. It was exploited there, even though they weren't full tackle practices. So it's really good when you see yourself play somebody else. And when this, so that all that is all that is really good. I'm, I'm glad about that and it seems like in at the Greenbrier uh it serves the purpose they want the the guys get away from things and um they i mean all of us should have an opportunity to be held hostage on a, a elegant resort like yeah. they are. i mean they were there and i was at the quality inn so that was a little <laughs> different and, uh, but i i of course see i like the the mountains around there and, and i took some hikes in between things and it's just a nice setting so yeah. One other interesting thing came out of today, Terry. I, I wanted to mention this um, for our listeners, but the Browns are par- part of a rule change that they want to push. I think they were at the forefront of this, but Andrew Berry was talking about it, changing the trade deadline to be later in the season. And Andrew Berry has some good numbers. Apparently the NBA trade trade deadline comes about 65% of the way into the season. And MLB is around 65%, he said, and hockey is around 78% that 78% of the games have been played by the time the trade deadline hits. And he said the NFL is at 45% because of the addition of the extra game. And he was talking about if it moves to 18 games down the road, like it Mm -hmm. it even needs to be later still. But he said the proposal would be to move it to 55% of the season, so move it back 10% more of the season, which I guess would be, what, two more games or something like that. So you might see that happen soon, and that could mean that teams could kind of wait even longer to see if they have an injury um, if, if something else happens, if they need to shore up a position. So I thought that was something that uh, was interesting. We might see that next year if they approve it. So I really think that they should. You're two-thirds of a season, basically, in any sport is what makes sense because it sets you up for, all right, I've got a third of my season. Do I want to make a move one way or the other? Do I want to get in or get out? And whereas I think in the past the feeling was, well, in the NFL they just don't trade which I found odd because, remember, I'm not a football guy. I'm more of a basketball and baseball guy. And what makes football so sacrosanct that we don't trade and these other sports do? It's like when the Browns made that deal for uh, Oswald, uh, what was his name, Osweiler, and they they traded, they basically took his contract for $15 million and they got a second-round pick to take the contract. For and I remember these NFL <laughs> people were like, what's going on? And I'm like, this is an NBA move. Uh, Chris, I remember Chris Grant was doing stuff like that uh, to uh, back. That's how they got Kyrie Irving. It was part of a trade with the Clippers where they took uh, uh, some bad contracts back and they took a, a pick that for whatever reason, the Clippers did not put a uh, uh, protection you know, a block. Yeah. yeah. And so. They, they got Kyrie Irving that way. When they had Kyrie Irving that year, they had a terrible record. But their their pick ended up being Tristan Thompson in the lottery. It was the Clipper pick that was Kyrie Irving. So 
I like more trades. I like stuff like that. It's fun to talk about. And fans like it. It's good. You know, the NFL wants to be entertaining in that. Well, people like player movement. You know, for and for people say the trade trade deadline doesn't matter so much. I mean, man, Trent Richardson was traded at the trade deadline. Yeah, the Browns got a ton back in that one, and you know, Christian McCaffrey was traded during the season, right? Um, oh, sure. Yeah. The so 49ers, I mean, it, the 49ers like to make moves during the season. Yeah, and running back seems like a position that's very big because you don't have to learn a whole new offense necessarily. It's low exactly. hand the ball off and run to the hole. So uh, anyway, we'll see what happens with that proposal. Uh, but the really big story of the day, Terry, of the week, really, <laughs> that we need to get into, well, not Johnny Manziel. <laughs> now, before you do that. Okay, let's do in, something else in, first. In three weeks, Deshaun Watson will play catch. Yes, he will. And it'll and be like spring training. Way. He's going to be playing yeah, catch for a, hours and hours. Exactly, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> where I was going. And to honor spring training, they're now playing catch. So and hopefully that's true. In three weeks, sometime in March, um, Watson will begin to throw the football around. So, um, and that's, I don't mean to be facetious, but we'll see. I mean, even then, we'll see how his shoulder holds up. They've got to be upbeat and everything else. But this was a serious shoulder surgery that he had. And um, it's it's critical. That's why uh, I'm just going to keep pounding this away. You know, I sort of love kickers and backup quarterbacks. I think by now you you see that. And I want a big time backup quarterback. I don't care if it's five million as opposed to eight million or whatever. You know, I want Flacco. I want Brissett. I want Minshew. I want a real player because I don't trust uh, Watson to play a lot this year. I hope he does. But you have to ask yourself, uh, is that a, is that such a certainty that you want to go into DTR or some other, you know, kind of half baked backup that's out there? Uh, get me, get me, get me one of these guys, especially a, a plug and play. You know, Brissett's a plug and play. Flacco's a plug and play. Just put him in there. Uh, Minshew, who I've always liked, um, is a guy that would actually be more in the mobile type offense that they're probably going to be running. And Minshew, you know, he helped uh, the Colts get right on the verge of the playoffs. So uh, those are three. I'm sure there's some others, but that's my big three. Yeah, and that'll all be happening really soon, Terry. The new league year starts on March 13th. So things will be happening uh, that week, and we'll have an answer pretty quickly. I think that'll be one of the first things the Browns will move on. So anyway, instead of future quarterbacks, we're going to flash back. I know you want to get into – Johnny Manziel was on Shannon Sharp's podcast recently, and he was talking about his time here in Cleveland and kind of how things went south quickly. And one of the people that he kind of put some blame on was Brian Hoyer, the pride of North Olmsted and St. Ignatius High School for not helping him develop the way that Johnny Manziel thought. Let me read a couple of the quotes here for maybe people who haven't been keeping up with this, the daily doings of Johnny Manziel. So, uh, but anyway, here's the quote. He says, my quarterback room was not a home run for me because of Brian Hoyer. Brian Hoyer, Brian Hoyer had been waiting on an opportunity to be able to go really provide for his family, get an opportunity. And he saw how much of an upper hand he had on me. And he didn't hold back when it came to that. There was instances in the quarterback room early on where I'd ask the same question a couple of times and he'd be at the head of the table and go again, we're doing this again. <laughs> I, I don't have a bad word to say about Brian Hoyer. That's, that is just fact of what happened in that room. <laughs> so apparently yeah. Mac Jones, Brian Hoyer says he was on vacation and Mac Jones texted him. And here's what Brian Hoyer had to say. He says, I'm on vacation last week and I get a text from <laughs> Mac Jones and he goes, funny. I didn't get this treatment as a rookie. <laughs> Yeah. Meaning Mac Jones was saying Brian Hoyer didn't treat him badly. And he, and uh, Hoyer says, look, I'll be honest. Johnny's right. It was an opportunity for me to go out and be the starter for my hometown team. But I was kind of apathetic towards him, I'd say. You know, I didn't go out of my way to be a jerk to him. But in the same sense, I was trying to win this job and go out and perform the best I could. I feel sorry that he feels that way about it. I always looked at it like I never had any animosity towards Johnny. If anything, it was towards the owner and the GM who were always trying to push him ahead of me when clearly yeah. he wasn't ready and I was going to be the starter. So, all right, Terry, there you go. I'm going to turn the floor over to you now. <laughs> all right. Go ahead. Remember, remember, remember this. <laughs> Hoyer was trained by Belichick and those guys. And you better be prepared and you better know that stuff. And if you had the same question three times and he just kind of said, again, 
that would be soft treatment in New England. I'm very serious. So, of course, Brian Hoyer is trying to grab that uh, chance to start. And he, if Manziel came in and frankly was sober, which he was not, has been proven since, and did his homework, which he did not, then he would have been treated differently. I mean, Joe Thomas has told stories about when he got this, that start at the end of his rookie year, he couldn't remember half the plays. Yeah, and, and, and so, he's admitted he's admitted he was he didn't watch any film outside of pra- the practice facility. Yeah, he said that yeah. publicly. <laughs> so. Yeah. So why? And and you know the thing that is cool about this is Brian Hoyer is in his sixteenth season, and he was undrafted out of Michigan State. Michigan State was the only prominent um, Division One school to offer him a scholarship. Chico. Uh, Kyle told me, the, the coach from St. Ignatius, about that. And he kind of had to talk to coach in there a little bit, going, you know, take – because they, I think they had some other quarterback that turned him down. It was one of those things. And they were sort of looking at Brian. And Kyle said, I'm really – this guy will help you, you know, all these kind of things. So, you know, Mantell, Texas A&M, and then the Heisman stuff and all that um, would – Hoyer be offended by all the attention around him and then to see how poorly he was handling himself? Absolutely, as would anyone else. But unfortunately for Johnny, who has had substance abuse problems, as he's admitted, Michael, and I'm not an expert in the field, but I have experience because of my long years in jail ministry and now at the Haven Arrest um, in Akron, is the people who deal who have addictive personalities and that, whatever goes wrong, they have to find somebody to blame. I mean, are you kidding me? They wanted Johnny Menzel to be good. Jimmy Haslam and, you know, put them, they put themselves out there. Now, uh, I got to tell you, though, far. Terry, the worst thing that Brian Hoyer did, remember when he made Johnny Menzel get on a plane and go to Las Vegas and put on a disguise? Remember You're when right Brian Hoyer that. made him do that? Like, well, he's got to take the Men- blame for that. Was he Johnny Mexico Billy, or something? Billy Billy Manziel. Billy Manziel. Billy Manziel. That's what it was. Yeah. And Brian Hoyer oh, was the mastermind of the whole oh. thing. <laughs> so it's just – but here's a – this is really a, a sad part of that story for Browns fans. And I wrote this in Browns Blues. When – and on the record, I have Joe Banner saying this. So he said when he was running the team and they did their 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 draft board, after the 2013 season, um, they pulled Johnny Manziel. And Banner's exact quote to me was, we had the reports, we knew everything about him off the field. It was a disaster. He says, and Ray, Ray Farmer, who was the G, took over as GM, was certainly not all that interested in it. And he said, so I'm watching the draft. And, you know, the Browns are trading, they trade up. And he says, they took Manziel. And I, like, fell off the couch. He said, he was off our board. We knew it was trouble. So, I mean, the guy he actually he wanted was Bridgewater, but it, it, it doesn't matter um, in terms of uh, there. But he said, in other words, they had the the evidence there, and they ignored it because they wanted Johnny Manziel, and they wanted to hope against hope that this could he could work his magic in Cleveland that he worked at A&M, even though down there they ran that real primitive offense, you know, very lot of uh, making it up as you go along. And I was told that his playbook, quote, unquote, because remember this, like there weren't as many uh, things like iPads and that that were being used back then. They it was a leaflet. Like 15 or 20 plays <laughs> each week. It was a leaflet. It's a little yeah. notebook. That was it. And that's what they did. Um, and so like Bernie Kozar drawing plays in the dirt back in the day, yeah. right? A little bit of that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I tell you, Bernie would kill this guy if he were in a room with him. I don't mean that, but I mean, get you know how Bernie is. I mean, Bernie Hoyer, these guys who fought to get in there, you know, Joe Jacoby Brissett, t- Bridgewater. Football technicians, football technicians. You know, Flacco, you know, you, you name them. These guys that had to fight to get in the, in the league or even to fight to start. Um, 
they would just be appalled by this. Okay, enough on that. Yeah. But I, I feel well. Better. I, I just real quick, Terry. Like the the fact that he, if you're ta- if you're C.J. Stroud and you're taken with the number two pick, yeah, or, or or like you're anointed as the future quarterback of a franchise. This was not that. Like he was taken no. on a flyer at the end of the first round, and then he came in and expected to be treated like he like the the, the veteran should just stand aside and let the anointed one take over like that was not the situation this was a competition from day one and for him to come back like this it just it, i think it's some lack of self-awareness and i'm sure it's it's it was hard for everybody but anyway and i, and um, I mean i am angry granted hoyer is a <laughs> local product and that but he's everything johnny manzel should have wished he was he made a way when there was no way in this league well they both Undraft- had their say un- undrafted un- yeah, I remember. And he's had a great career. I remember one of the times when Brian ended up either going back to New England or somewhere. So I'm talking to Chuck Kyle from Chico from San Ignatius, and I forgot which one of us. We we one of us said this guy's had one of the great careers in NFL history. We started adding up all the money he made, you know, for as a backup. It's like thirty eight million dollars or some incredible. And I I don't mean that, but just. It shows you the value that he is to coaches and to teammates. So of all the people to attack, that was the worst one. Yeah, still going strong. Still going strong. So Still going strong, uh, yeah. Anyway, I was just going to say they both had their say, and hopefully we can close the book on this one and, and move along. So, <laughs> All right, Terry, uh, you have been working this week on we, – we have not one but two outstanding Division three men's basketball programs going right now in Cleveland – Case Western Reserve, 21 and 4. They're number six in the D3hoops.com rankings. They have earned a spot in the NCAA Division III tournament. They're going to play Friday against Mary Baldwin at 7.15 p.m. at home over at Case. And then if they win that one, they're going to play on Saturday at 7.15, and that'll be against the winner of Hope and Anderson. And that Hope Anderson game is going to be the first game on Friday at 4.45. The championship game, like I said, will be Saturday at 7.15 between the semifinal winners. And John Carroll, which is ranked number two in the D3Hoops.com top 25, they have made the NCAA tournament for the second straight year, the 17th time in program history, and they are going to be hosting a four-team tournament in the first round of the NCAAs this weekend, also Friday and Saturday. On Friday, John Carroll will host SUNY New Paltz. Not related to Billy Paltz, I don't no. think. It's P-A-L-T-Z. Oh, yeah. But that's going to be at 8.20 p.m. over at John Carroll. And then Saturday night at 8.20, that championship game will be between the winner of John Carroll's game against New Paltz and then Calvin Elmhurst have the first game on Friday at 8.50. Uh, you've been writing a lot about John Carroll. I know you're working on some stuff on Case, too. But John Carroll is a remarkable story because their coach uh, didn't – things weren't going so great a couple of years ago, and he's really found a way to turn around with a lot of homegrown talent. Yeah, Pete Pete Moran, son of the legendary Carroll coach Mike Moran. Um, the cool part of that story is after Pete graduated from West Fiaga, as he said, he had a 2.3. He hated school. He didn't do much of anything. And he went to work for the next five years. He didn't go to college and um, ended up at a bank tower at Fifth Third Bank. And uh, then finally, at the age of 23, went back to John Carroll. He had to go in on probation. He was on academic probation because he was originally turned down by John Carroll when he applied out of West Yorga, even though his dad is a big deal at the school. So, I mean, he was not getting into trouble, but he just did not want to discipline himself or anything. And I'm sure everybody who saw Pete Moran as a 23-year-old freshman at John Carroll never would have believed this guy would end up coaching the team to begin with. And that's what happened. He you know, put his life together and so on. Um, and then he had a good first year taken over for Mike and then struggles a few years after that. And he went the transfer route, not this past year, but the pre- previous year. They brought in eight transfers, but they all had Northeast Ohio uh, connections. Even Luke Chacon, their best player. I mean, he's the grandson of Mike Moran. He has started his career at Youngstown State. And four of those kids played together on an AAU team in junior high, and they they all just kind of they came from Division Two and Division One programs to basically come back home and play at Carroll, turn the program around. Then this year they didn't take any transfers, and seven of the eight still stayed there. So it wasn't like it was basically a time to they were two and thirteen the, the previous year um, in the uh, OAC that was in um, 
2021-22. And probably Pete felt he was pretty much going to get fired. He knew felt he left his father down. He loved John Carroll. And this has revived the whole program, uh, made them one of the top ones uh, in the Division Three in the nation. So it's a cool story, non-scholarship basketball. Case under Todd McGinnis has found a way to – they made the NCAAs last year, first time in school history. They're backing it this year. They're doing it with a few transfers. It's a little different because Case has these premier uh, graduate schools, be it for medical school or finance or business or even uh, social work. And so they're getting these guys that go to Division three schools but have a year left. And so what they're doing, they've already graduated. They go into Case and they start going to grad school and they play ball there. And they've gotten some nice players doing that the last two years. So the transfer game is being played in different ways all over the college spectrum. Yeah, I was just going to mention, Terry, over at Case, not only is the basketball team uh, really on the uh, rise, but the men's tennis team has won an NCAA championship in yep. recent years. And it's a lot of the same thing you're talking about with grad students coming there and some undergrads too, but it, it seems like it's a formula that's really working in the sports. It's a great era for sports at case. So anyway, if you're a hoops junkie, a great weekend basketball We've, and the girls high school tournaments going on right now too. Um, but a good time. March madness is almost here and it's kind of started early. So go check out some D three hoops. If you uh, want to see case or John Carroll, both playing on Friday night. So, all right, Terry, we have talked earlier. We're going to spend a few minutes here on your faith column. You wrote over last weekend, about making decisions and you told a really good story about how when you hurt yourself playing basketball and you were telling a friend about your predicament with your injuries and uh he said uh he had some good advice for you why don't you talk about that real quick well i'd originally blown out my achilles playing basketball in 93 and it was a it was a bad uh, uh injury because now i hurt the achilles tendon but there are two other tendons around them the, something i call the gastrius and soleus i probably butchered the names i ripped all three in fact, they ended up doing what amounted to Tommy John surgery uh, to rebuild the Achilles ligament. So um, that's that's the background. So I'm playing ball with uh, uh, my friend's 13-year-old neighbor. We're just kind of shooting around, playing a little bit of really lame one-on-one. And I felt my other Achilles pop. Not completely, but there turned out to be a partial tear. So I'm telling my neighbor, George, about it. And he looks at me, shakes his head, and says, so just suppose I was the one with the bad Achilles, and I did this. Now, you tell yourself what you would tell me if I were the one playing basketball there. And I thought, that's really good advice. You know, and and it was it was the kind of thing where when you trade places with somebody, you can kind of hear what you're saying to them, and it's kind of holding up a mirror and like, wait a minute, what am I doing here, right? It makes you take a step back. And then another way yeah. is, suppose you have an idea about, you know, buying something or whatever. Uh, pretend somebody came to you with this business proposition and say, do you, hey, Dave, do you think I should do this? When Actually, it's Dave's idea. If you could take that step back, you're probably going to make wiser decisions. And also, you don't have to make it right away. You know, you can wait a day. I talked about how a friend of mine who runs a, a car dealership and and I've been going there for 25 years for service, but what he did come up, he never tried to sell me a car directly. I just bought it from him. And he goes, we have some really good stuff here going because it had to do with the pandemic and the used car thing was high and uh, market was high. And, and if you were willing to order a new car, uh, he would, they're paying prime for the, your used car and you just have to wait a couple months to get it. And I thought, you know, I'd really come in here to sell a car, just getting the service. So, I, I didn't agree to anything. I took it home and I went and I talked to Roberta and you know we prayed a little bit about it and thought about it. And next day I went back and, and took it. And there and actually it ended up being a great move. But the reason is I felt better about it because I didn't do it right away. I talked to, to the most important person in my life. Uh, we looked a little bit at the money situation and that and, uh, and it worked out. So um, I just think how we make decisions is a, is a big thing and. Um, and that rolls into the book recommendation because it comes from Andrew Barry, of all things. Yeah. All right. So I was watching the Andrew Barry press conference today, and it was really interesting because uh, someone asked him about how does he balance. I, I couldn't hear the question exactly because it was kind of muffled, but it was some kind of a question to Andrew Barry about how do you balance 
such a high pressure job, trying to build a team, uh, the stress of the job, being a father, being a, a husband. And he said, I, I had not heard of this book before, but you had. And he said one of the things that has really helped him stay, stay centered was a book called Ordering Your Private World by Gordon McDonald. And Andrew Berry said his pastor turned him on to it mm-hmm. and that it's really helped him center himself with everything going on. I mean, you can imagine what last season must have been like. He's got two young kids at home, quarterback <laughs> whirlwind where he's got the guys coming in and out and wins and losses and, and crazy things happening. And he said that this book really helped him center himself. And uh, you you were familiar with this book, which I thought was interesting, yeah, Terry, why don't you I read, talk about it? I read it years ago and I was just doing a quick kind of a, um, review. Uh, Gordon McDonald is a pastor from New England. I hope I remember that part right. But um, he wrote a couple of different books about you do, your your private world. And part of it is like, he said, like when you're a pastor, it's so easy, or a priest or a rabbi, it's so easy to spend your time kind of preparing your God lessons and quote, doing godly things, but you don't let your relationship grow. In other words, it becomes another part of your job, your, your, your private world, you know, could get lost with that. Uh, and then also it's kind of like, well, I'm doing the father thing, but my mind is on, I remember Doug Collins told me this. He said he would be at his kids. Little Doug was coaching in the NBA. He says, I would be at my kids little league game. And my brain's just all about roster moves and everywhere else. I was there physically, but I wasn't there, you know, emotionally. And it was checking a box. And so, you know, the old line is, uh, uh, what kind of person are you when nobody's looking? And that has to do with your private world, too. And yeah. McDonald, at one point, because he wrote a couple of different books that I read, uh, when he was a younger pastor, he had an affair. And he talked about how he had lost himself there and he became, you know, very came clean about that with his wife. They went to counseling and all this stuff. And he goes, these pastors hate to admit that I got to go to somewhere else and get counseling, get my private world straightened out. But if you don't, it just gets worse. So it's it's a pretty fascinating book, and McDonald's McDonald's a good writer. Yeah, I was interested in this when I heard him mention the book, and I started doing a little research. I, this this was one of the quotes that is from the book that I thought kind of ties into what you're talking about, Terry, about uh, looking within. And he, and he wrote Gordon McDonald wrote, "A soul, our spiritual place, is empty when one tries to do soul based things." but makes little or no effort to keep that soul filled. I thought that was really eloquent. And it kind mm-hmm. of is what you're talking about. You're, you're so busy doing, doing other things that you don't kind of look inward and, and, re, and replenish your soul. That kind of is the wellspring of everything, right? I mean, you, we've all seen it. Parents are out with their kids. And I get it once in a while you check the phone or something. But there's you look at the table in the restaurant, and the kid's got the little iPad right in front of them. Mom and dad are on the phone. Nobody's connected. There's your private world. Your private world is on that cell phone. And it's not where you want to be. And I know this. Um, I remember one time I did get a text from Barry about something. We're cross-checking. And and then he said, I'm here. My I'm at the T-ball game. And my son just got a double. Opposite field. <laughs> and I think he said, Frank Conan would love it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's always good to go the other way in t-ball um but but i thought there's a guy that actually is working on his private world yep. you know again it's uh ordering your private world gordon mcdonald m-a-c donald is the way he spells yeah, his last check name out so. some of his other stuff too so cool all right terry we do have a handful of letters left from fans we asked for a hundredth episode to write and i did want to get to this one real quick from Roger Thomas. Uh, Roger, thanks for writing in. Roger says, I was born in Long Island, New York, grew up in New Jersey, and have lived in Virginia since 1990. My dad was from East Cleveland. My mom was from Akron. I adopted my dad's teams when I was young. I've never lived in Ohio, but have loved my Cleveland teams since 1964. Nothing beats my yearly trip to Progressive Field to watch my Guardians. So good to hear from you, Roger, in Huddleston, Virginia. And uh, Terry, we've gotten so many emails from people from all over the world. Uh, Thailand and England and and places other places in Europe and uh, it's been really fun to hear from Pluto Nation fans everywhere. So keep those coming. If you do want to hit us with a question, comment, something for next week's podcast, email us at sports at cleveland dot com and put Terry's talking in the subject line. So 
So March All 6th, right. I will be at Walla Books in Parmatown, March 6th at 6 p.m. And I know David, of course, will be there. I won't. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm actually going to be out of town next week, which is what I was going to mention. We are going to be taking off next week, and we'll be back okay. in two weeks. Uh, and I do want to give a quick plug to your newsletter, Terry. Go to cleveland.com slash newsletters. You can sign up for Terry's newsletter. It takes two minutes, and you'll get everything he does every week in your inbox every Monday. So, so yeah, I'm actually going to be off next week, and I'll be back for the week of NFL free agency. And then, uh, yeah, we're into middle March already. It's crazy. And the Women's Final Four is coming next month. So it's all going to be here really fast. So I think we're done, right, Terry? That'll do it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will talk to you in two weeks on Terry's Talking. Terry's Talking.